0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Off the Record. Matthew Collar here with you, where I take a little bit of a break from covering the Minnesota Vikings and talk to very interesting people in the sports industry. And for this episode, I'm going to talk with Justin Anderson. He is the uh, sports psychologist at Premier Sports Psychology. Uh, Justin, how are you?
1: I'm doing well, man. How are you doing, man?
0: I am doing okay, um, but I think me along with the rest of the world is looking at everything happening in sports and with coronavirus and maybe freaking out a little bit. Um, So before we get into this, since this is your job, uh, sports psychology, but psychology at at its root, uh, I would love you to give some advice to all sports fans who have their entire lives had the Minnesota Twins in the background throughout the summer. And this year, it just doesn't look like that's going to happen because of coronavirus. Coronavirus. And I can't blame anybody, though they should be streaming our podcasts and listening to our shows for getting a little bit stir crazy. So why don't you give us some advice first before we get into, uh, you know, mentally tough athletes and what makes them and, and so forth, just on how people can deal with what's happening right now in the
1: world. Uh, I tell you what, I think we could all use a little, a little mental toughness right now. It, it is, it is really crazy. It's, it's just, you know, unprecedented. Everybody that we've been talking to is just agitated. It's, it's, uh, a lot of shaky uncertain ground that we're on right now. And, and I think the tough part is the not knowing, you know, the, when the mind doesn't know, uh, what to expect, it really becomes anxious and it starts to search for different answers. And oftentimes in these types of situations, it search, searches and finds worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. So we kind of get into this uh, panic, chaotic um, shopping or hunkering down. And, and I'm not saying that's wrong. You know, who knows? That's the problem. Um, but we we've been getting such mixed messages about whether or not this is uh really a, a, a significant event or not a significant event and it'll be we'll be through it in a couple of weeks or you know this could be eighteen months. I mean it it really uh that uncertainty is creating a lot of stress for for a lot of folks. And then when you layer on uh uh security and uh financial security and, and whether or not people are gonna be able to, to make ends meet I mean, now we get into this very, very uh, significant survival type mindset and some of the other needs that we might have kind of go out the window and um, we and we really begin to get a little more territorial. We we get a lot shorter um, with with people much more in a defensive posture. And so, I mean, those are things that uh, are likely going to see we're going to see more of that. Um you know, this chronic stress leads to disruptions in sleep, disruptions in stress hormones. I mean, there's a significant amount of depression and anxiety that will come out of that. I mean, so not, not to say all doom and gloom, because the one neat thing about humans is we're often very resilient mm-hmm. and we're very creative. And we've gotten through many, many hardships in our past and we find solutions. And I think that's the side of things that if we have anything to say to people, it's it's begin to really become aware of where you're putting your attention. And if it's too long on sort of this doom and gloom or, or you're watching too much, uh, media or social media, and it, it's all the catastrophe worst case scenario, just monitor it and, and notice what it's doing to you, um, what it's doing to your mood, what it's doing to your body. I mean, oftentimes we will, we'll pull back after watching some of that and we'll be clenching our jaws or our, our mm-hmm. shoulders will be raised. Um, that's, that's the stress levels popping up. So just take care of, of, where you're getting your news and, and how much you're, you're doing it. Um, focus on what you can control and plan, you know, prepare. Um, but, d- but try not to be compulsive with it. Uh, you know, spend a little time each day thinking about what do I need to do in order to, to secure some things and, and get a plan in place for my health and my family's health. Uh, and, and take some action towards that. When we start putting our attention towards that action, um, we feel better. And uh, I think sitting around and, and worrying about what could happen is probably the worst thing for the mind and for the body. Um, so, I mean, exercising is a great preventative thing. It helps with both both the body, but also the mind and replenishing a lot of the neurotransmitters that that calm us and relax us um, and then get good, good, consistent sleep we talk about getting into a routine i think a lot of people are like hey you know i don't have work i don't have to get up so we're kind of uh beginning into a a, we could be getting into a phase where we're not getting up at the same time or going to sleep at the same time might be binge watching netflix and and whatever else and um but that repeatedly, not having a routine can can also create more stress uh, for the mind. The body again and the mind again likes routines. It likes routines because it gives us security. We know what's coming next. So anytime we can do that, let's do it. Then I mean, oh, go ahead.
0: Well, I was just going to say that I'm guilty of the sleep thing and the binging Netflix thing and the, well, I you know, whatever, I'll just work later because why not? There's nothing else to do. And um, I, but I would say that one thing that helps me a bit, and uh, I don't know if you would co-sign on this or not, is just knowing that everybody else is going through something, too, with this, that it is uh, in a way. Um, connecting all of us so you know your neighbor is tense about it too. And the other people at work, if you're still going to work, or the other people working for, from home are tense about this also. And so you're not the only one who's dealing with either frustration or anxiety or whatever else. So we all kind of just have to support each other the best we can.
1: You know that that's such a great point, and and that is one of the things that we recommend is stay connected, stay connected with folks. Uh, and and the goal with the connection is focus on how you can help them. Uh, you know, some people have shared that we can't be not uh, feeling good when we're 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 helping someone. Um, and so if we turn our focus to saying, hey, let's do one little thing for our family member or our neighbor or our coworker who is maybe feeling a little struggle um do it because it will help you uh, as well as your coworker and it's a great way to stay connected but yes i think knowing that others are going through it certainly helps and and then if we start to focus on what we can do to help each other we get that creative mind unlocked and mm. that's 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 the mind we want
0: well, I think that's a terrific message. Thank you. I appreciate that because I would love—I would love to have just dived right into the uh, the football element of this and sports element of this. But I feel like if we're talking to a psychologist, let's get some some solid advice here to start. So let's let's talk about the sports side because I uh, am trying myself to help people as much as they can focus on football because football is fun and it will be here eventually. I don't know when. I don't know if there's going to be training camp on time or whatever else, but. I I know football is coming back and the Minnesota Vikings will play and, and so forth. So we can focus on their off season and things like that. But I wanted to talk with you, uh, especially just coming from the combine a couple of weeks ago, which feels like now like 11 months ago. But it was only a couple of weeks that I was in Indianapolis and listening to College players talk, uh, you know, just about themselves and their careers. I'm always um, putting up my antennas and listening really closely to what they say and how closely that matches up with some of the successful athletes. So I, I want to start with you on a, on a broad sense of players who succeed do blank Mentally, and maybe you could just take that any direction you want to, because that's an extremely complex answer, and there are probably hundreds of different avenues, but what comes to mind first for you, if I ask the the basic question, the guys who will succeed going from college to the NFL, their mental mindset is probably what?
1: You know, the the first thing that I always look for if I'm profiling guys and and seeing who might be good for the NFL and, and who may not be, it is this insatiable growth mindset meaning that they are thirsty to continuously get better and so the motivator the driver as i call it their driver isn't uh about security just getting there it is about getting better and being the best Mm -hmm. the best that they can be it's those guys if if you've got that to start some of the other things that are really critical can, can come into play but that's where i start if they don't have that they likely will hit a ceiling and that ceiling will be their, their, their talents. Um, but when you get to the NFL, you get to the highest levels, everybody's that talented. And so we don't see those, those even really talented guys, um, continue to, to stick, um, if they don't have that growth mindset because they've got to find a new way in better ways, more efficient ways to perfect their craft.
0: That's a great point. And what I look for sometimes in my own just hack scouting or whatever, when I'm listening to these guys is, do they get excited about talking about things where they improved on? Right. Like sometimes you'll ask someone, so where's the biggest area you improved? And if the answer is, uh, you know, I don't know or whatever, you sort of wonder, well, I mean, isn't that the whole thing that you're going to have to do going from college to the NFL? If you stay this good, you won't be good there. Um, Because it's just an an incredibly different game from college to the NFL. But there will be some players who will get excited about that question and start talking about, well, I developed this spin move or I, you know, started improving on my kick step when I'm blocking and it gets extremely football-y. But that's kind of how you have to be in order to make it long term in the
1: NFL. That is such a great point. And that is exactly some of the things that we look at during those interviews um, is how do these guys respond to those types of questions? Do they light up? Do, do they do they get excited talking about those things? Uh, if they do, there's pretty good indicators that that's something that charges them up, that that um, that they really do get motivated by. And that's what we're looking for.
0: So intelligence is always an interesting part of this because you'll hear like this guy is a smart player and and, and I want to just say that we can apply this to all sports like it's not just football. It's just that I cover football. So I, I like to frame it through that lens and with intelligence it's kind of interesting to me because i think of even from my own perspective if you asked me about the 1994 kansas city chiefs i would have a lot to say about it and i would come off sounding pretty smart about the 94 chiefs but if you asked me to multiply two numbers together i might come off as very not smart so (laughs) so so how challenging is it from a sports psychology uh, standpoint to utilize the intelligent parts of, of uh, an athlete and maximize them on whatever field they're stepping on.
1: There's, that's a, another really good distinction you're making there. And one of the things that I look at really quickly is the, the separation of knowledge and intelligence. So intelligence gets thrown around a lot, but in psychology we really look at it. We look at the operational definitions of that. And so, um i want to dive in and really understand what is the actual variable that we're measuring or we need to measure um in in order to to say this guy is going to be effective at the position that they're at hmm. and so knowledge is a, is a, a critical piece and the game knowledge understanding the game understanding um defenses that's that's all knowledge based but intelligence is more of a trait and that means it is something that is innate and it doesn't change over time. Some people have it and some people don't. It's kind of like fast twitch muscles. Um, some people are just faster if they run. Um, but what we, what we find is that, um, in, in the intelligence world, that's pretty static over time. And we are able now to look at a couple of variables. And one of the variables that I look at, particularly, it depends on different positions, but let's just use quarterback, it, for example. One of the variables that I really look at is, processing speed mm-hmm. and yeah. so it, it's not just that they're smart so to your point they might crush the wonder but i want to know how quickly are they responding to questions how quick-witted are they if 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 a coach or somebody is giving them a little jab are, are they able to to kind of spin around that and and uh and handle that um how how quickly are they when you get them up on the board are they able to run through different progressions um but but there's a number of different things that we can do to to take a look at the processing speed. But that's one thing. I think the second thing that's really critical is memory and memory recall. Um, because oftentimes we want people that can uh, pull up that memory quickly. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you've ever been caught where you, you see somebody that you know you know who they are, but you just can't pull their name up. Yes, um, definitely, <laughs> definitely. <for sure. laughs> me, me too. Me too. It's one of the reasons I'm not in the NFL as a quarterback. But they, some of these guys are just really, really great at accessing the information that they've already stored, and they do that quickly. And and as you're trying to get through progressions and trying to understand where guys are going to be at, when you've got a, um, you know, you got a clock running against you. I mean, it's critical to get those things and get those things quickly. That's a
0: fascinating point. Can can that be improved or is that just kind of a thing that is there naturally with someone that you're trying to parse out if you're an NFL team and you're in the room with a
1: quarterback? So there, there are some studies, there's some conflicting information on, on memory, and, and I think we can improve it. Um, and we can improve a little bit. I think what, what, what's interesting though, is there are tools that we start to train athletes on in, in order to, uh, help them memorize different things that they're needing to memorize. And that's, you know, that's just study habits one-on-one, you know, chunking things, um, having progressions, cues. So we call cued recall you see this number, boom, that triggers this thought, um, you know, you, you, you have something there to, 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 um, to help you recall that, that information very quickly. But I think the other thing that's really critical and, and we see this, uh, just starting to get into the NFL, but it's, it's been around in, in other areas like the military and whatnot. It is, uh, helping athletes learn how to manage their anxiety mm-hmm. because as, as we get into more clutch situations, our minds race and when our minds race, it's harder to access information and in memory. And so one of the things that we want to help athletes do is be able to manage that activation. And we can do that pretty easily through breathing, but we got to train it. And mm-hmm. we know we, we've got to train it. And we can do it through breathing and we can do it through focus exercises. So what am I paying attention to? But what we tend to see with the vets and the veterans of the league that have been around a while, they are incredibly good at very doing very clutch, very difficult periods of time to block out every other variable that is not, uh, of consequence and, and, you know, insignificant to their performance. And they're able just to lock in on those small variables or tasks that are critical for, for them to succeed in that play.
0: So I love and, that you brought that up. I, I'm, I'm, Sorry if you had a point, but I was just watching an NFL films feature from years ago because, you know, coronavirus. Uh, So not that I did anything else anyway, but uh, about John Elway and why he was so clutch. And it sounds like cliche NFL films. Elway was clutch and he had all these clutch plays, but they interview Elway about it and he sort of takes them through some of his big moments. And the thing that he said that really popped to me was he said, when I get the ball at the two yard line and we're down by a touchdown and I got to drive 99 yards, no one expects me to be able to do that. So it's fun. I can play kind of free because everyone expects that we're already going to to lose. So I don't care. I could just make that throw. And if we lose, well, that's what everyone expected anyway. But if we win, everyone's going to be super excited about it. And I thought well, that's an amazing mindset because he's not saying, Oh my gosh, what if I am not clutch? What if I don't, make this or whatever he's saying "Ah, they don't think i'm going to win anyway so let's just do this and and i thought how many pro athletes at that type of level could have seventy thousand people bearing down on them millions watching at home be like i don't care i'm just gonna throw this ball
1: that that is awesome i love that story. you're gonna have to send me that link i want to watch it but that that is the exact thing that we're talking about and i think you have to be prepared for that if if you go into the end of the game and you don't have a a plan for that type of situation, uh, what kind of mindset you want to have, um and you've practiced that, you thought about that, you've reflected on that, trying to access that when 70 people to 70,000 people are on and trying to be uh in that moment with those emotions pulling at you, um with all the distractions that are in that in that moment, it's it's damn near impossible. Um, and so that's where this training comes into play. And that's where the best of the best are now starting to really reflect and do that. Um, some of those in the older days just did it and they stumbled upon it naturally and they started to do it and and they've had success with it and they just continue to do it. Now we've learned from that and we're starting to train some of these guys, um, at younger ages on how to get there.
0: How should teams understand Players backgrounds as it relates to working with them from a psychological standpoint, because I, I, I relate a lot of things to Teddy Bridgewater because he's one of the most fascinating athletes I've ever been around. Um, someone that just has this ability to make everybody play better in part because of his personality, which it doesn't seem possible. But yet you saw it and you saw it last year when he won five games with the Saints. Caroline is not very good, but I bet you'll see it there, too. And Bridgewater has a different background than a lot of quarterbacks it is someone who grew up in a very difficult situation, his mother had cancer and everything else. I mean, a lot of things, a lot of great stories from Teddy from early on that he had to overcome, and usually the quarterbacks are the ones that had the quarterback guru, and their dad pays thousands of dollars for some former NFL player to work with him, and Teddy has that more of like a junkyard dog story, which I think – impacts his mental mindset and how he relates to other people. I guess is, is there, is that relevant to teams when they look at players backgrounds and how they need to approach them? Cause everyone's not going to be naturally Teddy, how they need to approach them from a psychological standpoint.
1: I, I think you're, you're coming across something here that I believe is the next frontier in pro sports. I think we have not in the NFL or, or the NBA or, or, or other major sports. I don't think we've done a really good job of saying, Hey, this is this guy's makeup. Mm-hmm. This is his drivers. This is what he, his distractions This is what his fears are. This is what his concerns are. This is in uh, recognizing how that all plays into the context in which we want to develop them. It, it you kind of look at other areas to say, wait, how do these things work? And I always think about planting a tree. You put, put a, the wrong type of tree could be a very solid, great tree. If in the right environment, it's going to thrive in the wrong environment. It's not going to grow. Mm-hmm. And, and we just assume, oh, this guy's got this type of makeup or he's got this type of talent. He's going to go out and produce, but we got him in the wrong soil. Uh, we're not, we're not putting the right soil around this guy in order to get him to thrive. And what's fascinating is we spend, and I say we, I, I'm talking to NFL teams, millions of dollars every year to get background information from our scouts. Um, you know, pay a bunch of people to do analysis and, and work on these, these guys. I mean, we know so much about these, these young men coming into the league and then we don't do anything with it. Hmm. Uh, and I think the teams that are going to start to make significant advances are the ones that are going to say, let's get very strategic about how we do this. And every guy is going to be different, and we're going to need to shift how we approach them to get the soil right so that they grow as quickly and as as efficiently as possible.
0: Well, and I wonder how you apply that to uh, coaching, because I don't think people generally know, nor would they need to, how much of an impact position coaches have on their players. And I'll give you an example. Kennedy Palomalu for the Vikings has this incredible relationship with his running backs. It's like your favorite uncle, but he's hard on them at times. And it's like a family type of relationship where he told me once that he wants to be at all of his players' weddings. Like he wants to be invited, but also wants to push them as hard as he can to succeed. And so it seems like position coaches often If they are good at it, find a way to connect on a personal level. But sometimes there's a disconnect with head coaches because they have so many different players. And I look at the different head coach personalities in the league. You have some that are really tough on their players. You're Bill Belichick. You have some that are not so much Andy Reid, and they both win a ton. And maybe that's because they have great quarterbacks. I don't know. But, uh, you know, but, but I wonder what you think about the, the, uh, the mindset of a coach when it comes to dealing with so many different personalities on any given team, but especially in football where you have 53 people.
1: Well, I think that's uh, so fascinating because what we see, even with the position coaches, you know, most of those folks have had some some experience in the league or but they've never really done probably any leadership training or or management training or or psychological training of how to manage different styles or different personalities. And it's fascinating because you look at corporate America and, uh, organizations like a target corporations here in minneapolis they spend millions of dollars training their mid-level managers Hmm. how to best get the most out of their employees and how to relate and how to connect and how to communicate and and yet here in the you know the billion dollar nfl industry we're we're not seeing a lot of that education or that training for coaches and and so i think it could be beneficial even for the the position coaches, oftentimes they do a really great job because they spend a lot of time with the players, but there could be uh, efficiencies in areas that we can develop just because they may not have the awareness or they, they're, they're coaching from the lens that they know and they're not shifting that lens or shifting that style to match where the athlete is. And um, so if we can help that bridge that gap a little bit, uh we can see development occur much more quickly then translating that to the pro- the, the head coaches or the coordinators absolutely i mean i think uh, as a as a coach or a leader of my organization i want to know everybody in my on my staff mm-hmm. and even if i don't have a lot of interaction with everyone i still want to know who they are and what what makes them tick so that when i do interact with them i am i'm feeling connected quickly because we know humans tend to perform best when they're feeling connected, secure. Yeah. And and in an environment like uh, the NFL, where confidence is, matters, boy, we wanna we wanna instill as much confidence in these guys as possible.
0: No, that's a, that's a, a great point. And you know, the best team that I've covered was the 2017 Vikings, and there was an interconnectedness inside of that particular locker room. And it hasn't been that way since, but inside that locker room that year, that was very different than anything I've ever seen. And I think there were a lot of things at, at play like Teddy Bridgewater coming back and case Keenum sort of surprising everyone. Um, and it got a bunch of guys who had been together for a very long time. So that kind of uh, immediately sticks out in my mind. If you can um, find ways as coaches to get the players also to care about each other. So not just you as a coach, uh, connecting with your players, but how do you get them also to bond and and get closer to each other? Because I, I feel like that usually happens, even if teams are at their throats sometimes in practice <laughs> and whatever else. Oftentimes, the teams that succeed will come out of that experience saying, yeah, we really pushed each other, but we also really cared about each other a lot.
1: Uh, that's su- such a great point. I think that comes out of player leadership. And, and, and you know, whether that was Bridgewater at that time or Case Keenum or some other guys at other positions, uh, both offensive and defensively, that, that helped with that locker room, um, I have found that, particularly on the pro level, that the player leadership, and it doesn't have to be the rah-rah, it doesn't have to be um, what, we, what we might think it is, because, I mean, a lot of these guys get into the facility, they do their job, and then they go, there's not a lot right. of... Uh, huge interactions with you know guys hanging out with each other all the time um, but when they get there there is a sense of mutual trust and respect and that's what we and we can develop that through a number of different things one we can develop mutual trust and respect by having clear expectations and and if players begin to hold other players to those expectations those standards we start to see this group kind of thrive um expectations, structure, processes, knowing your roles, responsibilities, uh, helping each other out with that. Um, And then obviously I think if you have success early, uh, you tend to see guys gel a little bit more. Hmm. I mean, there's something really to winning cures everything. Yeah. Um, And and there's there's a truth to it.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. And I I think about the different types of leaders that you're sort of laying out there because – There are what I like about talking with you every time that we've ever talked and we've done a few podcasts together and things is that you could take these broad words that are used to describe things by football people and broadcasters and then really, really parse them out and see where there is a lot of truth to them. Like they sound cliche. Well, we need leaders in the locker room. Like, of course you do. But when you start to push it out, you see the importance of having different types of leaders. And there are some guys who do the lead by example thing where they're at their locker on Friday, still studying the tape and sort of pushing everybody else um, to be at that level. And then there are guys who are more on the emotional side and and so forth. And um, someone told me a former teammate of Stefan Diggs, who is now traded to Buffalo, just that being in the huddle with him, you see his intensity and that, Pulls everybody forward and you know I, I guess uh, I'm interested in your take on how athletes themselves should look at leadership
1: because I tend to think find your own way to lead that's it that's exactly what we recommend and and oftentimes we'll, we'll profile. profiles so a number of the teams that I work with pro level, we are profiling the entire team. And so we're getting a behavioral profile. We use the disc, um, but we'll do a behavioral profile, which is, is it's tendencies. It's, it's how people tend to want to communicate their, their go-to strength. I was kind of uh, equated to whether you're left-handed or right-handed. Now it's not right or wrong, but there is a potential or uh, a style that people tend to like, uh, that they go to for themselves. Mm-hmm. Now, that may connect with one type of person, but it may not naturally connect with another type of person. That's why it's it's very important to have, in as you pointed out, a diverse amount of uh, styles within the locker room. The key with the diverse amount of styles is that we've got to respect and value the different style, not judge it or say that style's, you know, silly or stupid. So if we get a a guy that's much more introverted and studying tape and wanting to get that, and you got another guy out there talking and, and, uh, And uh, you know, kind of run up the 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 group. um, Let's not get in conflict with one another. Let's recognize that both can help because we're connecting with different guys at different levels, and, and we can advance it. And we'll do that if we have mutual trust and respect between those two players. Well, Justin,
0: this has been incredibly illuminating, as always, to talk with yeah. you, and uh, I know you have a job to do, and we've kept you for a long time, so I really appreciate your time here. Just one more thing, for yeah. all the the people who listen, um, a lot of them have kids in sports, and I, I guess I'm sure that they would love to hear your one-minute, here's what you should do to support little Jenny or Timmy or or whatever um, in their youth sports, because I, I feel like that is an area where people definitely get really super serious about it as adults. And I, I guess I just wonder what your thought is to help them build a, a mentally strong young athlete. Who's also enjoying the game.
1: Well, I appreciate that. You know, we, we have a practice called premier sports psychology, um, and at our website, we work with a lot of youth, a lot of, uh, high school, uh, and a lot of college athletes, not just the pros, um, we have one of the larger sports psychology firms in the country right now. We're very proud of of the work that we've been doing in the community here. Um, and we really believe that these skills that we're training and teaching these young men and women uh, are life uh, lifelong skills that can help them deal with crisis, uh, challenging situations like we're dealing with right now. Um, and so it is something that isn't trained a lot in school. And it's a unique opportunity to, to get your your son or daughter into uh, different ways of thinking and to improve not only the quality of their life, but the, the resilience in, in challenging times. And if, if you can't afford a meeting with us individually, we do offer – Uh, online digital that is much more affordable the premier mindset uh but you can find that on our website and that's for people who are interested in in doing some of their own training uh, at their own turf at their own time
0: and don't worry i was going to pub the website trust me (laughs) that's that's all i can do for you after you've given me so much time premier Uh, sports psychology dot com. Justin Anderson, one of my favorite people in the industry to talk to, always learn so much from you every time uh, we get together. So, Justin, thank you for your time. And uh, I wish you the best of luck throughout these um, difficult times. for Yeah.
1: Hey, likewise. Best to you, too. I always appreciate being on. So thanks so much for having us.
0: For sure. This has been another episode of Off the Record. We'll catch you next time.
1: Whether it's Fred Meyer Simple Truth Turkey or mac and cheese with Murray's English Cheddar or pie made with fresh Cosmic Crisp apples, there are many dishes we look forward to sharing during the holidays. And Fred Meyer has all the fresh ingredients you need to turn today's holidays into tomorrow's memories. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.
0: Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1
1: each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Fred Meyer, fresh for everyone.